Hi Janina. Hi Emma. How you doing? I'm alright. I feel like this is uh, the first time we've been prompt and uh, on time with our recording in quite some time. So I'm, it kind I'm of pr- is. I'm very proud of us, to be honest. I'm proud of us. Yeah. We can do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when there's not other stuff happening. What do we do, Janina? Uh, we answer people's questions about history. Yes. And show them that it's sexy and complicated. Yeah. Yeah. This one's not very complicated, to be honest. Actually, this week it might be the first week that the answer is not history is complicated. As you know, that's it's mildly complicated. <laughs> but before then, who also are we? You are Janina Matthewson. Yes. Writer, podcaster, woman of great intellectual power and beauty. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. You are Dr. Emma Southern, <laughs> historian and writer and woman of formidable talents and personal grace. Oh, personal grace. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to tell that to Connor the next time I knock something off a table just by waggling my arms about. <laughs> Do. It's been officially said in public and uh, on a, a medium. Yeah. So. <laughs> the frequency with which I drop things suggests otherwise, <laughs> but maybe I do it gracefully. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to assume yes, because, yeah. you know, what else? What else have we got? Um, well, I mean, if I haven't got great personal grace, and I don't know what I have got. <laughs> yeah, what question so, are we answering this week? So this week we're answering a question pretty much specifically designed for me. Yes. From Steve Atkins. I'm going to cut out the bits where he's specifically nice about me. I mean, don't. Um, All right, he said he enjoyed my book. (laughs) I mean, he is correct. He is correct. He says, well, I like it when people tell me that they enjoyed my book, but a man emailed me on Saturday to tell me that he liked my book, but at great length in all of the ways in which he thought it was too feminist. Cool. And it included a line about him giving me advice about my next book. Cool. Which you felt I should make less feminist. And I was like, I, <laughs> please go away. Uh, <laughs> um, he sounds anyway, like so a treat. People like Steve should write to me and just say nice things. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, I took my contact details off my website because I can't be asked. <laughs> having people email me to give me advice. I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely never have contact details anywhere. Yeah, well, I had a little contact form, and mostly people used it for nice things, but he annoyed me, so... Yeah, um, no. Anyway, Steve Atkins, who's nice, says that he loved my book, but it feels like women in the Julio Cordian dynasty get way more attention than those that come later, which is true. So my question is, who are the coolest women post-68 CE? So 68 is the year that the Julio-Claudian dynasty ends in mm-hmm. Roman history, them being the first dynasty, but also the most famous dynasty um, in Roman history. And then I think that I could twist your arm and give you a, a kind of brutal wet willy and you would not be able to name a woman post-68 in the Roman world. Uh, yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I, I, think I did have like this is a this is one of uh, my favorite kinds of episodes because I don't have to do very much because you already know everything so it's just <laughs> story time for Janina I did it have is. a quick look at note a list of notable Roman women uh, okay on Wikipedia I just had a quick scan down it and I looked at the ones that were not part of the Julio Claudian dynasty and it was all like here is someone called, I don't know, Lucilla. Uh, we think she maybe uh, <laughs> was quite devout. 
<laughs> Full stop. And then yeah. that was that was it. It's not an incorrect thing. Yeah, that's where the com- the kind of vague complexity comes in, really, which is that the one of the reasons why the Julio Claudians are the most famous is because that's who the most is written about. Mm-hmm. So there's like this. 200 year period of Roman history where loads of writing kind of survived. Yeah. And um, so the late Republic and then the Julio Claudians. And then there's a fairly distinct drop off after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where to the extent where there's, I've kind of mentioned him every so often, but there's one emperor that just no one knows anything about and everyone forgets that he was emperor Antoninus Pius um, <laughs> uh-huh. who was emperor for like 24 years and, and presumably no- like there's not even any way to know whether this is because for some reason writing went out of fashion and nothing was put down during this period or because all of the writing was in one building that had to fire or just all <laughs> happened to be dropped in a series of muddy puddles and didn't survive, right? Like, we don't... I mean, it's it's largely that, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like not in terms of... Even for the Julio-Claudians, there's not, like, that much in terms of narrative history. There's only three or four things, but there are, like, three good narrative histories Mm-mm. which tell the story, and they have mostly survived, and yeah. they, are both, they were all very sexy and exciting. Mm-hmm. And then for the later ones... There's maybe one and we've only got one manuscript and it's got a hole in it. Sure. Or for a big chunk, so um, for a big chunk of emperors from about Trajan onwards. Actually, no, Trajan's got plenty, but from about Hadrian onwards, there's this one source which looks like a lovely narrative history called the Scriptores Historia Augusta, Mm -hmm. which is which looks like or presents itself as a series of biographies of emperors written by lots of different people, but is also absolutely full of lies, uh-huh. like provable <laughs> lies. And is a bit like this might actually, there's a quite a long argument about whether it's fiction or not. Sure. Um, and people have used quite like sophisticated techniques, like fully putting them into like software that will analyze the language used in order to be able to tell whether it's written by one person or multiple people mm-hmm. and like really try and like really long ongoing arguments about whether it's a novel um, in the way that like, like a lot of novels about the ancient world in particular will pretend to be like the lost diary of Augustus or right. the, this is, I don't know, Cicero, like the um, Robert Harris uh, books about Cicero are all pretending to be Cicero's favourite slave, like writing the biography of Cicero and yeah. that kind of thing. And they all pretend that they are like a lost historical document. And this might be that, like just right. a novel. Uh, right. The idea of writing a novel in the form of a memoir is not actually very new. <laughs> no, it's not at all. Um, or like, yeah. Um, and all writing fake biographies, which is like... Um, yeah. You know, it's always a fun thing to do, um, but apparently might well have been being done for many thousands of years, uh, which yeah. is fun. But it's also the like only narrative we have of like the reign of Hadrian, <laughs> and that's kind of difficult because then we're like, did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> it only said like there's this whole thing about Hadrian making it illegal to murder slaves, which is in the Historia's 
Historia Augusta, but nowhere else. Right. So we're a bit like, did it happen? Did it not happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to kind of decide whether you believe that his script is Historia Augusta or not when you're writing about him. Mm. But that is a big problem, which, and that's one of the reasons why the Roman women of the Julia Claudian house get remembered so well and it's because we've got several sources which write about them loads sure whereas like the wife of Hadrian for example is massively overshadowed by Antoninus and also by the fact that nobody was writing about Hadrian or they were but it's just not survived right and so on and so forth what we do have though we do have a few who kind of make it through Mm -hmm. and who get written about and we have one good history which is the history of Cassius Dio who was a Greek man who came to Rome, who was a senator under Septimius Severus and then Elagabalus and then Severus Alexander, who is his bestest and most favourite. Three emperors that are kind of only vaguely remembered, really, but mm-hmm. um, that it is a period of history which is kind of known as the Severan matriarchy. In okay. part because of we have a source that lived through it <laughs> and therefore we actually have writing about these women and part because they probably were the only women other than Agrippina who actually had a role in ruling the empire. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be like the climax of the episode. Great. Can't wait. So I'm basically going to go through like some women before that because there are a couple who are interesting. They're not very cool necessarily (laughs) that's not true Berenice is quite cool but they're interesting Mm -hmm. and it's they're worth having a chat about so are you ready I'm so ready I'm very very excited you're not going to have heard of any of them so excellent (laughs) almost probably and people might have heard of Antonia Canis and Berenice because they've both had loads of novels written about them okay because they both are lend themselves to this kind of tragic love story story that you Mm -hmm. can tell about them there's a really good lindsay davis novel about um, antonia canis so she was a slave she was an enslaved woman Mm -hmm. owned by antonia who antonia minor who is the daughter of mark antony and octavia Mm -hmm. uh, augustus's sister so and she was the second woman to be called augusta she was very powerful but very conservative and she freed Antonia Canis and kept her in her household as a freed woman. And she first appears in history because she is the woman that... So there's this big scandal in... If you've seen I, Claudius. I have uh, not seen I, Claudius. Oh, man, you should watch I, Claudius. It's so okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> you've twisted my arm. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I mean, if you like any kind of, like... I know how much you love, like, now big, long run, long scale like slow build narrative <laughs> tv high spec like you love that shit <laughs> i mean yeah that's that's fair like yeah then you'll love it okay so in in that case this is of no use to you but it will be to other people i suspect like well, one sometimes of the s- we do have to think about people who are not just me i do try know, every, every so often, often. Yeah. it's a challenge Janina. Yeah. but so the big drama in the, one of the big dramas in that is the fall of Sejanus, who mm. is like a great villain. Um, and he's played by Patrick Stewart with curly hair. Amazing. Yes. And he's very good and very evil when he marches around and kills people. And it's great. And Antonia eventually kind of gets fed up with Sejanus and she writes a letter to Tiberius and says, 
you think that Sejanus is your best friend, but actually he's a bastard. And as a result, <laughs> Tiberius has Sejanus killed. That's perfect. I like how that just that just feels quite high school. <laughs> it is a bit high school. <laughs> that but friend you think is good is actually bad. Is actually bad. It is a bit. It's kind of a big deal that Antonia like gets involved in politics though, because she's very, very traditional. So mm-hmm. like the idea that she would give advice to the emperor or to a, a man on something serious is quite a big deal. But Antonia Canis is the woman that she takes the letter to and then she writes that very important like history changing letter down. <laughs> then later Antonia uh, allegedly allegedly starved her own daughter to death. Oh, for wow. having an affair with Sejanus, just locked her in a room and starved her to death. That's uh, that's extreme. It is. It is. <laughs> she was a, a, a apparently a woman of great terrifying strength and uh, morals that she had very great feelings about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a bit terrifying. Anyway, so that is who owned Antonia Canis originally mm-hmm. um, and then was her patron. Um, at, at some point, Antonia Canis met a young senator slash general called Vespasian mm-hmm. and they fell in love and had a lovely love affair, but were not allowed to get married because it was illegal for a senator and a freed woman to marry. Mm-hmm. So Vespasian went off and married somebody else and had children and went off and conquered Jerusalem and burnt it down and then came back and then his wife died. And so he kind of took up again with Antonia Canis um, and he became the emperor and he moved Antonia into the palace mm-hmm. um, and basically had her as his concubine. Is sure. the word that is most commonly used. But basically she was his partner, like romantic partner, mm-hmm. but they were never married because he never had the law changed or the law kind of bent for him. Mm-hmm. So she got to just kind of hang around. And there's all these lovely romantic novels written about their doomed love affair where they could be in love but never be legitimate. Sure. Because it's horrible not being legitimate. Yeah, exactly. She illegitimately. She illegitimately. Yeah, exactly. And like they could never be, it's this kind of, and he, people, like the Lindsay Davis book is like a proper, like the, she is like the, the only woman who will tell Vespasian the truth and she never, mm-hmm. he loves her because she takes no shit from him and that kind of thing. In my experience of historical novels, that is the sort of relationship that works best when you are not married and immediately <laughs> turns to custard once you get married. I mean, uh, yeah, I suspect so. But it's also the kind of thing that's a bit like, I'm sure that's delightful in a romance novel, but in real life, if somebody was always <laughs> being like, I'm not going to take any shit from you, you eventually your feelings would just get really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Please, can you not take just this one piece? Just Can you not just be nice shit? to me for like a minute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, you know, um, it's a romance novel, so fine. She is that kind of like badass woman that people love. The re- and the you can kind of project anything you want onto her because she's only ever really in like three paragraphs of all of history <laughs> where it gets mentioned. And she's like in this paragraph of Suetonius where it says that she was... Like he loved her, but then he gave her up, but then he took back up with her again once he was widowed. Mm-hmm. Where you're a bit like, did she have any say in this? Because <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like 
there's a way of telling the story where she doesn't have any say in it. Yes. She's a free woman, but she is also a former slave. So, and he's the emperor. So like what she can do, say no and get herself killed. Yeah. And the only other real paragraph that she's in is this bit of Dio writing a bit later, who says that Vespasian took excessive delight in her, which I like the sound of because it does sound like he just kind of walked around like a puppy. (laughs) Or just like looked at her, like made her dance for him so he could... Yeah, maybe. Or just like jizzed himself every time he looked at her. Mm. But basically he took excessive delight in her that she became very rich and he gave her lots of things. Um, And... So there's a story about Vespasian that he was really tight and would rinse money out of everyone for anything. Mm-hmm. So he like introduced a tax on public toilets, which everybody took the piss out of him for. <laughs> and so he would go around holding coins under people's noses and being like, what does that smell like to you? It came from piss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is either very funny or very, very weird. <laughs> I mean, it can be both. Anyway, so basically the accusation in Dio is that he used her as a kind of intermediary whereby she would sell imperial favours. So she would get people to give her money and then she would recommend them for a procuratorship or a priesthood or maybe they were up for some kind of promotion or maybe there was, you know, some something that they wanted or a decision that they wanted and maybe they could buy, they could pay Canis and then Canis would recommend it to Vespasian and then Vespasian would give them what they wanted. And it was basically a way of bribing the emperor without actually bribing the emperor. Right. Sure. Yeah. Nice one step of removal that washes everything clean. Exactly. A nice bit of money laundering. Mm -hmm. Or she was extremely persuasive and in all ways and able to just rinse people for money and then be like, I reckon you should just do this. And he'd go, okay, dear. <laughs> I like that version, the secret power I do like that the, version. The crown. I'm always a fan of that as a trope in my uh, interpretations of history. You know? It would be a good... I would happily read a novel in which Vespasian isn't really the power at all. It is all Canis and he's yeah. just a general who is a bit like a kind of a fussy busybody, but then she's making all the decisions and just telling him what to do. Yeah. Yeah, I'd yeah, be fine with it. that. If somebody wants to write that, that would be good. I mean, maybe one day I'll make you do all the research for me and then I'll write the fictionalised version because... Basically, I at- would be fine with that. That's yeah. all I've ever wanted is like... Because I can do the research bits and like make suggestions on a, a basically a scene level. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to writing any kind of plot or character rubbish right and so. i can do that but fine maybe this is how we get the history of sexy book deal it's not for history books it's for <laughs> historical fiction yeah i think that's fine everyone loves historical fiction everyone loves historical fiction business is booming we'll come up with a pseudonym and we could be the next philippa gregory yes we will take suggestions from listeners for our historical fiction pseudonym yeah because yeah if anyone wants to come up with one for us then i am happily receiving suggestions on that <laughs> And then we will write this novel. Yeah. Yeah. So then she died and Vespasian didn't even bother to give her like a headstone because she was so like unofficial. And yeah, I mean, it's a bit like, like he's very officious and like he (laughs) totally could have changed the law to marry her and whatever, but then everybody would have been mad at him for it Mm -hmm. and thought he was debauched. And so he just doesn't give her a headstone or anything. Um, So her technically... Her her freedman 
gives her a headstone, well, which was- is a bit sad really yeah <laughs> but also i don't think he would be seen dead putting his name on the headstone for somebody who wasn't his wife like it would just look right yeah. scandalous and he just wasn't a scandalous person yeah yeah on the other mm. hand his son titus was quite scandalous it, you always you've got to you always swing away don't you yeah Um, he came back so he this is the other like romantic fiction one where there's quite a lot of books the guy who wrote spartacus howard fast wrote a book about berenice Mm -hmm. in which she is basically boudicca which is super weird (laughs) (laughs) because she is the great granddaughter of herod the great Mm -hmm. And the granddaughter of Herod and the daughter of... Uh, Herod Julia. as in uh, kill, kill all the babies. Here yeah. Herod. Mm-hmm. And she is the daughter of uh, Julius Agrippa, who is... Uh, Herod Agrippa is generally known as... as uh, who is like this figure in the Julio-Claudian period who's like great mates with Caligula. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of around during Tiberius and then he loses all his money and then he's great mates with Caligula and then he gets made king of Judea and then he is integral in getting Claudius to the throne. So after Gaius is murdered, there's like this three-day period where there's a standoff between the Senate mm-hmm. who want either their own... Well, they either want democracy, oh, democracy, democracy uh, in inverted commas back, or they want <laughs> uh, one of their own men on the on the throne they don't want like a a hereditary situation Um, and then in the Praetorian Guard you've got Claudius and his men in the camp arguing that actually they would quite like Claudius to be on the throne Um, and also they have swords and so there's always a very powerful (laughs) argument it's a very strong argument Uh, (laughs) it's a tough one to counter so but Herod Agrippa is like the guy who goes back and forth between the two like passing messages and he is instrumental in getting Claudius to the throne and Mm -hmm. as a result he then gets given an even bigger kingdom Um, and so he gets like all of Galilee and Judea and that whole area and he gets Jerusalem um, and then he's the king and Berenice is his daughter Mm -hmm. so she is brought up by as like the princess this Jewish princess Mm -hmm. and then at some point she meets she's quite scandalous in Judea because she has three husbands and she leaves them all for her uh, and moves back in with her brother one of them is her uncle who dies, but the other two, she just doesn't like them. So she just lives with her brother. Sure. And people accuse them of incest, basically. Of course they do. Of course they do. When they're just like, maybe we just like, maybe we just live together. <laughs> yeah. Have you never but, heard of adults having to live together for reasons? Yeah. Like, and also they live in a palace. Like it's fucking massive. They probably only <laughs> see each other once a year. Probably each have their own wing. That has everything they need in it and they never go anywhere else. But she is like, you know, very prominent and a princess and blah, blah, blah. And people gossip about her and she's apparently very beautiful. But she, there are no pictures of her and no real descriptions of what she looks like. And she was never, as far as we know, there are no surviving depictions of her at Mm -hmm. all. But at some point when Titus rocks up in Jerusalem in order to besiege and destroy it, which he does Mm -hmm. successfully... Berenice and Titus meet and it's like love at first sight. Sure. Yeah. Of course. And they have this torrid affair and then he burns Jerusalem to the ground and destroys the second temple. Sure. 
but the Herodian family were never particularly observant Jews mm-hmm. or particularly practicing. Like they caused a lot of problems because they did things like sacrifice to the emperor. Sure. And they put a Roman eagle on the second temple, which everybody in Jerusalem despised um, and things I like mean, that's, that. I mean, that's understandable to not yeah. enjoy the symbols of your colonial oppressors. <laughs> exactly. And there was like, there was quite a lot of tension between them. Um, and apparently Berenice <laughs> felt little to no, little to no sympathy for the people that she was technically ruling because she immediately started banging Titus. Um, <laughs> And then Titus goes back off to Rome and mm-hmm. a couple of years later, they have some kind of long distance relationship. And a couple of years later, she moves to Rome and just straight up moves in with him. Sure. And they live in this like lovely villa in the gardens of Sallust, which are these particularly beautiful gardens. Mm-hmm. And they live there for like four years while Titus is being like trained up to be his dad's second in command. Okay, so it makes sense. He's very much like the popular take over the family business. Exactly. He's and he's very much like there's two brothers. The other one is Domitian, and Domitian is never going to be trained up to be the fan business because nobody likes him. Um, <laughs> he's very much the unpopular brother, mm-hmm. and Titus is very much popular. But he is kind of a bit of a. He's like. It does bad things, but everyone thinks he's sexy, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when he is like debauching around and shagging people's wives, everyone's like, oh, Titus, <laughs> oh, you cad. <laughs> and when Domitian like debauches someone's wife, they're like, oh my God, you disgusting, horrible man. Because <laughs> no one likes him. So <laughs> I mean, that's exactly how it works. It is. And they say things like, like Domitian likes to spend time by himself. So people spread all these rumors that he spends time stabbing flies with a pen. (laughs) (laughs) He's like the random emo kid of ancient Rome. He is the random emo kid of ancient Rome. Like pre-emo being cool. Like in this is 1997 random emo kid. Yeah, very much so. He was Mm. like, I always imagine him as the kind of kid who like is really good at Call of Duty. Mm Mm-hmm. But would definitely cry if you showed him a real gun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's that kid. But Titus and Berenice like, basically live together as a couple. And she is called in the sources Queen Berenice and gets treated as like his partner. Mm-hmm. And there is a suggestion in one source that she is somehow involved in the government. Either she is hearing cases or she is involved in the emperor's advisory council in some way which is like like incredibly scandalous because mm-hmm. she is basically the og Meghan markle as far as the romans are concerned which is that she is sure she's come from outside she is foreign she is eastern mm-hmm. she is too brown <laughs> <laughs> and she is hanging around in the palace having what can only be seen as a terrible effect and in some way diluting the purity of the um, sure. of the Roman palace and they people say things like oh she turned the palatine into this into the an, an eastern um an eastern court and blah 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 blah, blah. Right. Um, it's nice so to know she- that that sort of rubbish has been around for this long isn't it <laughs> mm-hmm. um for as long as there have been people there have been dickheads yeah and so she basically gets all of the same shit that Meghan Markle got except Titus is not as in love with her as Harry is with Meghan Markle. (laughs) Oh, no. Because what happens is Vespasian dies. 
mm-hmm. and Titus becomes emperor, and his first act is to send Berenice away from Rome. Oh, wow, that tells a lot. Yeah, so his first act is like he kind of does his full 180 in his behavior mm-hmm. and stops being like this party boy with a sexy foreign girlfriend. So he pulls a Henry V kind of. He pulls a straight up Henry V, exactly. And all of a sudden he has got, he's like never done anything bad in his life and he doesn't know who Prince Hal was at all. Mm-hmm. And so he. Yeah, and he is kind of sad in the sources. Like, Suetonius says that he sent her away, although she didn't want to go and neither he didn't want her to leave. And, like, the the story is that she he chooses duty over his own feelings, basically, which is kind of very laudable and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but also very sad because she's yeah. just, like, neither of them. And then he dies two years later. Ugh. Just be and happy and scandalous for a couple of years. I know, he could have had two years of really scandalous bonking. Yeah. Instead, presumably, and they just wrote each other sad letters. But she completely disappears from sources. We have no idea what she did, like, anything else about her. Because mm. as soon as she's not doing anything that involves emperors, nobody gives a fuck. Sure. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, so she presumably goes back to Jerusalem, which is still on fire. And, yeah, just vanishes completely. No idea what happened to her. Mm. Well, that's... Anticlimactic. It is anticlimactic. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. I don't. It's not your fault. It's the sources. It is the sources, and this is a problem, as I've said many times, which is that they almost never write about women in the Roman sources. They're writing about men, yeah. and sometimes women are ne- next to them. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as those women stop being next to the man, then they're no interest. Yeah. Yeah. Because who? Like, I don't know. What do women do? So who cares? <laughs> Like, it's just not important in any way. So, yeah. So that's Berenice, who's quite good. I feel like she has a lot of potential. Yeah, It's never fulfilled. Like, she could have been a really good, like, a really cool woman. Yeah, there's a lot of potential fun there. Yeah. And, like, that's why she, again, is, like, this great fodder for historical romance novels because there's a Mm. lot of possibility there that you can pick up on but enough gaps that you can fill in with sexy sex sex or her riding around on a chariot like Boudicca yeah if you so wish I guess (laughs) which why not riding around in a chariot looks awesome it does look cool yeah so that's her yeah yeah it's quite good like yeah she was very oh the other thing that I forgot to say about her is that she is some people publicly protest against her while she's in Rome. Mm-hmm. So there's like two guys who stage like a little Father Ted public protest uh, about an Eastern woman being in the palace. And mm-hmm. they're called Diogenes and Heras. And they are publicly flogged for their protest, which is taken as being kind of borderline treasonous basically Mm -hmm. like as a protest against titus but one of them just won't give it up like after being flogged he comes back out with his placard or whatever (laughs) still protesting about there being a foreign woman in the palace Mm -hmm. so they just behead him sure i mean they did try they tried to not behead him and he he wouldn't wasn't having it they gave him a warning they did in the form of you know however many flogs so they, I imagine that if where they're alive today, they'd be people like going, I'm not racist, but... Yes. I just don't... There's just something I don't like. 
It's just something I don't trust about her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly, I don't really read papers, so I have no idea what people actually say about Meghan Markle. But I'm ho- just general horrible racist bullshit, I think. Yeah. It's my I understanding. Yeah, I'm, I'm unclear on the matter. I mean, yeah. they should stop it. Leave They alone, should obviously but... stop it. She, I mean, I just really like her anyway. I think she's delightful. I'm a big fan great. of her and Harry. I bought her cookbook. Haven't made anything from it yet. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I own lo- loads of cookbooks that I've never opened. So <laughs> <laughs> I only use a tin one. <laughs> no, that's not true. I use Ella's one as well. So Yeah. We recently yeah. cooked from both Kate's and Livy's. Oh, very good. good. I haven't cooked anything from Nivis yet. Um, but Kate's one, have you ever cooked her tarragon chicken, the Anna Karenina tar- tarragon chicken? That is amazing. not. Highly recommend it from the first bit. These books, by the way, are Ella Risbridge's Midnight Chicken. Livy is Olivia Pete's Olivia Potts, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Pete's is her Twitter name. Uh, Olivia Potts' uh, Half-Baked Idea. And Kate Young, A Little Library cafe and little library year little library um, cookbook is the first little one. library cookbook is the first one yeah and the library year is the, the first second. one that has tarragon chicken and it's amazing mm. well, just buy all of them they're all great and to be honest they're all good reads i've just read them they're all very good uh, reads. <laughs> like they're all just really nice to read um but that's a sideways thing it is yeah then unfortunately we get what is called what edward gibbon called the most peaceful and prosperous and brilliant period in roman history Mm-hmm. Uh, of the five good emperors of which there were actually six because <laughs> everyone forgets about Antoninus Pius oh, poor guy and Lucius Verus for that matter um, no one ever remembers Lucius Verus hmm. he's not in Gladiator no Gladiator is just Commodus who is, you know I mean that movie sucks but Working Phoenix, Phoenix is very good in it in my opinion he is very good in it um, and at the beginning it's got more um Marcus Aurelius, who's Commodus's dad, going uh, like, right. "Oh, I'm gonna restart the Republic, or whatever." Fuck off. I don't remember that bit because I have not seen it since it was in cinemas when I was, I believe, sixteen, and I have no intention of ever watching it again because I did think it was dumb. But it is dumb, but that's um, fine. You know, uh, sometimes something yeah. dumb has one good performance in it, and it's <laughs> I mean, true of a lot of Joaquin Phoenix films, I think. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is a very good actor. He's he an just incredibly good actor. I have no interest in ever seeing the films he's in. He's in some good ones. You were never really here as exquisite. I will. I have heard this, but I have not seen it. I, I will say. put that out there. Lynn Ramsey um, is amazing. And he is, but he is a very good actor. He is an um, incredibly good actor. But um, but anyway, you know. and horrifying as Commodus. Just horrifying. He's a bit very scary. Mm. But yeah, anyway, Lucius Verus is co-emperor with Marcus Aurelius for like 10 years. Why were and they then, co-emperors? Because they were brothers and they were mm. both adopted um, by Hadrian and then they were co-emperors. So they ruled happily together and then Lucius Verus died. Oh, that's nice. And then Marca, uh, Marcus Aurelius fucked everything up. So the five good emperors are emperors who all adopted their successor mm-hmm. um, by choosing promising um person from the ranks basically so they chose a good senator or a good general or someone who had the right temperament to be emperor sure. so none of them were none of them grew up as part of a royal family none of them grew up thinking they were going to be the emperor um they were adopted as adults like hadrian was adopted by trajan like on his deathbed essentially mm-hmm. um, and so on but then marcus aurelius fucked the whole thing up by giving it to his son. It's always always a mistake. 
yeah, very stupid. Yeah. But anyway, there are like the problem with this period is it's very good. All the emperors, everybody basically likes them except Hadrian, who is not that liked actually. <laughs> he had a nice wall. He had a nice wall and a nice beard, and he wasn't really in Rome very much. He spent almost his entire reign out of Rome, so nobody had a chance to like really personally dislike him <laughs> or like write horrible things about him. And not a lot of writing from his like uh, things survives, but that which does is like not that flattering. <laughs> and say things like about his unbearable cruelty and tell stories about him stabbing people in the eye. Mm. Um, yeah, so so none of the women of that period are particularly like make that much of an impact on anything because they're not bad enough to be making any kind of splash and they're not like particularly doing anything that would make any impact anywhere if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you get like Trajan's wife like every there's suspicions about her but it's just not very fun the only interesting thing and it's not that interesting is that um Trajan's wife Platina uh wrote letters to Hadrian about who was going to be pointed to the head of a philosophical school in Athens and the philosophical school in Athens were so excited about it that they wrote the letters out on marble <laughs> and then put them up in the hallway and then they, those have survived so they are one of the very few pieces of writing by a woman that we have yeah which is interesting but it's not very cool it's like oh and the letters (laughs) well fucking boring (laughs) like just adorable they were just you know (laughs) it's literally like oh dear hadrian i think that you should i think you're great also have you thought about when you're appointing the next head of the philosophical school I know that we, it should only be a Roman citizen, but I think that this guy would be really good at it. So maybe you could make it so that it could be a non-Roman citizen because then they could speak Greek in Greece and that would be good. And he goes, yeah, all right. <laughs> Great. And you're like, I wish I was dead rather than reading this. I'm really glad that that was preserved in marble. <laughs> like, of all of the pieces of female writing that survived, this is it. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that's all you've got for like fucking 150 years um, is them and they're boring. Yeah, well, that's they're a not, shame. Yeah, I'm sure they were delightful women, but they're just not very exciting. Yeah. Um, but then Commodus fucked everything up and then Commodus got himself killed. And then there was a kind of brief interlude with a guy called Macrinus and then Septimius Severus comes to the throne. And then he introduces some more interesting stuff, frankly. Great. Um, things pick up significantly because... He is interesting in a number of ways. He is the first Eastern emperor because he is born in Libya. Mm-hmm. Um, and his wife, Julia Domna, is Syrian. And so they are both Eastern. They both speak Latin with a, an accent, which people find hilarious. <laughs> and t- violently take the piss out of Septimius Severus because when he's saying his name in Latin, he mispronounces it Septimius Severus. I mean, they f- look... As an immigrant. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like when I take the piss out of New Zealanders by saying that if you say a pin, a pen and a pan, it all sounds the same. I mean, it doesn't. It's the thing that's just factually <laughs> inaccurate. But yeah, so they they found that very, very funny. <laughs> but as a general rule, they were very popular. And Julia I mean, I Dunner, feel like you've got to be. If you're the sort of people... That everyone feels comfortable making fun of your accent. Yeah. And that, that suggests that you're not too horrible. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm generally a fan of Septimia Severus. I'll never forget doing a, running a seminar on the third century because we're into the third century by now <laughs> and talking to students and being like, so one of the big things that he does is he builds a load of stuff in Tripoli in Libya, mm-hmm. what is now Tripoli, and makes it into kind of this glorious city, which it hadn't really been before. It had just been like a kind of provincial town. Um, and he makes it into this glorious city. And there's loads of building works and stuff. Um, and we're kind of talking about what the impact that might have on the people of Tripoli, like mm-hmm. um, how they might see themselves differently or how it might impact them to suddenly be the place where the emperor is from. Uh, and one of them went off on one about <laughs> migrant workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And um, how there would be massive camps of migrant workers in the city. <laughs> Again, it's nice to know the more things change. And the entire room just being like, eh. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, generally a fan. So he has Julia Domner, who he marries when she's like 15 and he's about 45. Mm-hmm. And she brings to Rome with her her sister, Julia Mesa. And... They then basically take over everything, which is great. So Julia Domna becomes this like intellectual powerhouse in Rome and is a massive part of this philosophical silver age of of thought in Rome, Mm -hmm. bringing a lot of Greek thought out. And it's like a big-ish, big thing. And she has like these parties and that she has like this these groups around her of mathematicians and philosophers and rhetoricians and she learns to give speeches and things which is all seen as pretty kind of kind of scandalous because all of that is male activity but it's not politics or war so it's kind of everyone like is a bit mm, i don't know how we feel about this but i guess it's only education so (laughs) Uh-huh. As long as it's not politics, then yeah. Um, and people are very grateful of her. And she and she has kind of a shit life eventually because so Timur Severus is grand, but then his sons are both shit. Caracella is rubbish, then murders his brother, and, and then she has to live through Caracella's reign. No one likes him because he's rubbish. <laughs> and then Caracella gets killed, and then another emperor comes in. But her sister is extremely excellent. Mm-hmm. And when Caracalla gets killed, this guy called Macrinus comes to the throne. And Julia Mesa has a son called Avatus. And there is no real tradition of like nephews or anything becoming, especially not nephews on the wife's side, like becoming emperor. So he's not really seen as a threat. But his, and also he's about 12. Mm-hmm. But his mother bribes the troops to desert the emperor sure bribes enough of them in order to get build herself enough of an army that um they go to war and defeat macrinus and then avatus becomes the emperor at the age of 13 with julia mesa his mother Mm -hmm. sorry that's his grandmother julia mesa is his grandmother Julius seramus is his mother kind of as his tag team Advisors? Sure. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Avatus is now better known as Elagabalus. Oh, sure. I've heard of him. Yes, which is the name that he is given because he is 
a priest of a Syrian religion of Elagab, which who is like a sun god, basically. And mm-hmm. he insists upon wearing his priestly robes at all times, which are kind of purple and gold and look ludicrously girly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like becoming a priest, part of the point is for the fancy robes. Mm. Why not wear them all the time? Um, and he also, because he's 13 years old, and he still seemed to be fairly flamboyant, to be fair, Mm-hmm. He he does things like wear makeup and he's very open about the fact that he bangs both boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really do any governing because his mum and grandmother do that. Sure. He's having a great <laughs> time. Yeah, basically, he has like the best possible time because he just doesn't really have to do anything. Every so often he has to show up at something and be like, yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> this is like one of the few times... That like there's this whole story. This all comes from dodgy as fuck sources, mm-hmm. but like there's this whole story about them setting up their own like little senate and like them getting very involved in politics. But basically, they run the place, mm-hmm. which is all kind of going fine, um, because there's like not really any other options until Avatus is persuaded to adopt his cousin. So when he's sixteen years old. Mm-hmm. They begin to think, oh, we should start setting up a legacy. <laughs> uh-huh. Getting old. So he adopts his 12 year old cousin, who is the son of um, Julia Mamea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really challenging because, for some reason, and I think it's because they have names which derive from Arabic, every fucking woman is called Julia. <laughs> like all of them. <laughs> because all of them claim or want to claim some kind of descent from the Julian family. So sure. all called Julia, or they take the name Julia at some point. Sure. Um, like, And that is true right the way back to, like, Agrippina's name is Julia Agrippina, but no one calls her Julia Agrippina. Yeah. But for some reason, Domna and Mesa and Soemis and Mamea never just called that. They're always called Julia whatever. It's really annoying because then it makes them all sound like the same person. Yeah, that's that's just not logical at all. It's not. It's one of these things like, I don't know, there's a lot of odd little things with Raymond naming, like why are some things anglicised and some things aren't? Yeah. Why are, like, anyway. But for some reason, these names, they're, they're always called the whole thing, which is very irritating. But anyway, Julia Mesa and Julia Sermis persuade Avatus, Elagabalus, to mm-hmm. adopt his 12-year-old cousin. His name is sure. Severus Alexander. Mm-hmm. who is the daughter of Julia Mamea. Mamea and Soemis are sisters. And so they think that this is going to be like a good family situation, but what it ends up being is a kind of split between the sisters in different houses. So Soemis is living with her son, the emperor, and Mamea is living with her son, who has been tagged as the next emperor and has also been given the name Augustus. So it's like a mini emperor. Mm-hmm. Um and they're both surrounded by people who are on their side and it becomes like this big power struggle, essentially. I mean, of course um, it does. <laughs> because of course it does, because everybody wants their son to be the best. Yeah. Um, and Elagabalus and Severus Alexander hate each other. Um, Naturally. Which is unhelpful because <laughs> Elagabalus is very flamboyant. He loves makeup. He loves parties. He loves sex. He loves wearing good clothes. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Alexander is kind of a bit of a mummy's boy. Mm-hmm. And he's very serious and is very well behaved and does as he's told. Sure. 
I kind of imagine him as, you know, in the early series of Game of Thrones, there's that like weak little kid called Robin who's like still sucking his mum's oh, boobs when he's yeah. like eight. He's, yeah, yeah. It's um, real creepy. Yeah, he's kind of that kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But, Poor kid. Yeah. So they don't get on, but um, Elagabalus tries to have Severus Alexander murdered and fails. And when it's revealed, it all goes very badly and turns into this massively dramatic scandal, which ends in a battle, which ends with Elagabalus and Julius Somus being murdered. Mm -hmm. And then their bodies are both desecrated in the street um, and dragged through and thrown into the Tiber. It is a bit much, but like that's what happens when you are the emperor or a public person who gets killed. Like your body gets desecrated and then you're thrown in the Tiber in order to show like that you are a traitor against the state and whatever. Right, you you are a wrong emperor. Exactly. And we're going to prove it after the fact because no one will be this disrespectful to a right emperor. Exactly. Mm. Um, Or like a right public person of any kind. Yeah. It, and she is the only woman that this is ever really done to, as a big, which is quite extraordinary yeah. uh, as a kind of demonstration of how much a part of his reign she is. Mm. Because earlier women, and like one of the big arguments that I make in Agrippina is that as much as she wants to believe or she wants to present herself as being integral to the reign of Claudius, in the end, it's only because he lets her be there. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, she can be removed without anybody yeah. even really needing to do anything official. They just need to not let her into a room and there's nothing she can do about it. And in the end, she is not really a, a politician like in the way that she would like to be, however much she acts as one, because she is never truly a part of the apparatus of Rome. Yeah. Uh, and no one was ever going to tear her body apart and drag it through no matter what she did. Sure. Whereas Julia Soemus is such an integral part of the reign that She's she is treated in that way. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And then Severus Alexander, he's 14 years old when he becomes emperor. Mm-hmm. Grand old age. <laughs> <laughs> and Julia Mesa, incidentally, the grandmother, is still around through all of this. And she kind of wins whatever happens because they're both her grandsons. Yeah. <laughs> She dies in 223. So this is all like the 220s AD. Mm-hmm. She dies in 223 and she is the only woman to be deified. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, Go her. Exactly. And she kind of orchestrates this whole thing, really. She, Julia Domner is the one that people kind of remember and write books about, but Julia Mesa is the one who creates, who allows the Severan dynasty to continue beyond like a couple of like two shit emperors basically or one good one and one shit one yeah and so she gets deified and Mamea and Severus Alexander have this kind of very codependent relationship which is portrayed as Severus Alexander being a massive mummy's boy Mm -hmm. who is incapable of doing anything without his mum says they say sure and her as being this kind of slightly domineering woman who doesn't let him do anything without her say so (laughs) But she effectively, like, rules with him. And, like, when he gets married, like, coins are produced to celebrate the wedding. And they have Severus and his mum on one side. Mm -hmm. And then the wife on the other. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's very much like like that. Yeah. And, And she is very cool as well. But they live and rule for quite a long time, about... 
13 or 14 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. But 13 years is because in 235, a guy called with the extremely good name of Maximinius Thrax. Amazing. <laughs> That's just outstanding. Isn't it a good name? It's so good. I know. He um, leads a rebellion, rises up against them, kills them both. And there's this kind of very sad scene. Both Elagabalus and Severus Alexander get in the sources like these very sad scenes of them clinging to their mothers. And like Elagabalus is torn away from Soemus as she's screaming and then they're both killed. But Mm -hmm. in order to demonstrate that Severus Alexander is a shit, he hides behind his (laughs) mum. Beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so whereas in one, like, they're trying to protect each other, like, yeah, he gets dragged off. and um, But they both get killed. And then the third century crisis happens. And what you've got there is, like, 50 years of nightmares. And you don't, you sure. get no more women until Helena, really. Amazing. Like, a hundred years later, you get Helena finding the true cross. And then we're barely Raymond, frankly, at that point. That's- so there you go. Outstanding. I love one incident that then leads to just untold years of shit. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's weird because the we know a fair amount about Elagabalus and Severus Alexander because Dio was a senator during their reigns and he writes about them. And we only have epitomes, like where people wrote like abstracts of his work. But <laughs> we have enough and he's very pleased that he's a senator and he gets made consul by Severus Alexander which is like his crowning glory and is where he ends his story. Like it's basically becomes the story of how Dio became consul the end. I mean, uh, which starts at the very beginning of Roman history. <laughs> and, and, ends with, and that's how I won. And that's how I became consul at the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Needless to say, I had the last laugh. <laughs> but we know like a fair amount about them, but they kind of are remembered as kind of terrible periods of history and as being part of the third century crisis, but they're not really. They are still part of like the height of Rome. Mm. But then it kind of real goes goes real off a cliff. Yeah. After yeah. Maximinius Thrax, to be honest. And then you get like just loads of emperors that are just generals killing one another. And sometimes there's like five people saying that they're emperor and mm-hmm. then it's just a nightmare basically. Yeah. Wow. And there's no women because it's just war. Sure. Yeah, but there you go. There's a few. Yeah, there are a few, and they're pretty. They're doing some things sometimes when we when we know what they're doing because there was a man there. (laughs) Because there was a man there, or a child, a child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Julias I think are great. Like the Syrian Syrian matriarchs are are pretty great, and they are they come across as particularly Julia Mesa. Like she comes across as absolutely fucking harrowing, but she just seems pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's. I just really like there was just a bunch of women doing things. <laughs> yeah, they basically took over. Uh, rather than just having one who was being married to someone. Yeah, because quite a lot of the rest of it is just people being married to someone. Yeah. Writing a boring letter. Yeah. It's not and as you good. can try and spin it as much as you like. Like, oh, it's isn't it good that she was interested in what was happening in Greece? And isn't it good and interesting that she was able to make these like great rhetorical statements? Like, mm, I guess I never really thought that women couldn't write and weren't interested in philosophy. So, yeah, <laughs> I fine. Yeah, I read. So 
There's a, there's, I mean, there's a few books I'm reading. There's a new one by Guy de la Baudelaire, which I've not read, which is called Domina. Mm-hmm. And there is one called The First Ladies of Rome called An- by Annelise Freisenbrook. And, and they do their best with mm-hmm. some of those later ones, but there's a lot of padding, to be honest. Yeah, which is um, which is a shame. But also, I mean, you know, there's a lot of padding in history because it's all limited. We if you're trying to write about everything. women, it's tough, yeah. Yeah. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> as bad as uh, Connor, I took Connor out for dinner with some ancient historians the other week and he did two drinks and started start trolling people by being like, it must be hard to only have two sources. You're <laughs> <laughs> <He's> not wrong. <laughs> yeah. It must be like, do you never wonder what it must be like to have like entire archives? <laughs> I was like, sure. <laughs> Even with all the archives in the world, it's still limited because you you still are getting someone's take on it. It's filtered through whoever wrote it down in the first place and then whoever wrote it down again. And, you know, it's impossible to know everything. This is why I started finding history so stressful. I was like, I can't know everything. And so therefore I can't have opinions about it because I don't have all the information. Or alternatively, everyone's got the same amount of information and everyone interprets it slightly differently, which means that you can all, as long as you're working from the same information, then you can just, you know, argue about it. It's just constant arguing. Yeah. It's great. But I like to know that I'm right, you know? Mm. It's harder to do that if It is if harder to do that. Having said that, you can have the very powerful belief that you are right. I mean, I always have that. Um, so it's, which is nice. It's nice to have the very powerful belief that you were right. Um, the nice thing is I just looked at the first ladies of Rome on Amazon and the very first thing that comes up under what do other customers, what other items do customers buy after viewing this item is Agrippina Empress Exile Hustler Hall. Ah, well, that's nice. That's lovely. Um, I, this one, the first ladies of Rome is what I'm going to call extremely fine. <laughs> It does this, the same thing that a lot of... Um, she was, I believe, one of Mary Beard's PhD students. Mm-hmm. Um, and notably, Mary Beard does not blurb the book. <laughs> but, it's like Obama not endorsing Biden. <laughs> exactly. But she does the thing that a lot of books about Roman women do, which it, I tried really hard not to do, which is that they just go off and talk about the men. Where there's sure. where they, it's a, some kind of gap. There's pages and pages where she's talking about what their husbands were doing or what their fathers were doing. Right. And then being like, and she was there, probably, I guess. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is annoying because you're like flicking through being like, when are you going to say her name again? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But that should be a feature in Kindles. It's like you just enter the name and make it highlighted in every instance. Yeah. So you can just easily see. I'd be um, like, well, this is a fascinating... And, you know, I totally see the why people do it because there's so much information about the men that it's really easy to feel like all of it is really important. Mm. And I wrote all those bits and then I immediately deleted them because it was very important to me that that book be focused on Agrippina as much as possible. Yeah. Like, and what we actually know about her. Yeah. And then what I imagine in my head she might have been thinking. Yeah, which is very good. <laughs> it's a very good book. Everyone should Thanks. read it. If you haven't read Emma's book yet, then what are you doing? I mean, if you haven't read my book, then you've missed all of the rude swears. So many swears. So many swears. And the second person ever, as far as I'm aware, found the Alan Partridge reference <laughs> the other day. So Excellent. 
It makes me very happy when people find the Alan Partridge reference and tweet me about it. Yeah. 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 It's very yeah. good. Anyway. I didn't find it because I've not watched. I've watched. I've watched okay. a non-zero amount of Alan Partridge. See, it's fine to me that you've not watched it because you grew up in a different continent. It so is. fair. I can see why a TV show about provincial radio host would not be penetrating New Zealand. I have, like, we did, I think I only watched any of it within the last year or so, and I did enjoy it. I found I, I just a completely immoderate amount of enjoyment in the aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, just, it's great, that's why. That, uh-huh. that joke never got old for me, which it is doesn't. nice. It doesn't. It's the fact that Jamie's not watched it that blows my mind. I mean, we he has now. We watched it together. Yeah, we, I mean, we've not watched all of it. We've... You know, we watched what we had access to. Wow, that's like you know, okay. We didn't watch that recent one that was on Sky. <laughs> They're all great. Mm. But I feel like you have to start at the beginning and work your way through. I mean, maybe. Uh, which you did because you started with No Me, No News. Yeah, we just... Which has anyway, dated a little bit. It has you dated know, a little there bit. Are some, but it, there are some jokes there that don't really hold up to no, 2019 no. scrutiny. But not that many. To be fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But anyway, yeah. that's not what we're here to talk about. Do you no, know? it isn't. <laughs> we talked about rare women. We did. What answer questions are we going to answer next week? Next week we're going to do a quick questions episode. Uh, so we've got a little list already of questions that aren't going to take up a whole episode on their own. But if you have a quick question, you can tweet it at us at sexy history pod or you can email us at sexy history pod at gmail.com or you can go to our facebook page at sexy history pod but without the e because facebook approves they don't like sex or you can go to our coffee page and buy us a coffee and ask us something there which is either coffee.com ko-fi.com slash his pod or bit.ly slash support sexy history yeah or and that's all the ways. I am at Nuclear Teeth on Twitter. I am at J9 and If. And Oliver, who will edit this um, and quite possibly take out all those bits where we talk about Alan Partridge, <laughs> he is at Kiwa. And I think that's it. I'm quite looking forward to short questions. We've not done short questions in ages. I know, it's been a while. It's always fun. We've got some fun ones, which. Yeah. Oh, the kind of thing which should either be 200 part series or a two line answer and nothing in between. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, did you enjoy learning about Roman women, Janina? I did enjoy learning about Roman women. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty cool. They are cool. They are cool. Yeah. Bye, Janina. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>